Lord, just help our hearts to be open, to learn and to grow um, all for for your glory, Lord. We praise you. We cannot wait to actually get to meet you someday, Lord. And we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Faith in a foreign land. Sometimes it feels like even in America we're in a foreign land, doesn't it? You know, as a Christ follower, as a believer, oftentimes it feels like we're in a foreign land. There's views and beliefs and ideas out there that you just, you're confronted with them every day and you have a decision to make. And sometimes those decisions can be hard because the pressure to do the easy thing and the thing that wouldn't be that noticeable and that maybe somebody wouldn't even notice if I did this, that can come out. And And uh, we're going to see that, especially in today's chapter in the book of Daniel. If you would, turn to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Um, There was this CEO, his name was Mr. Frobisher, and he'd just been hired as the new CEO of this company. And and as the outgoing CEO met with him in his office in a private way, um, the outgoing CEO gave him three envelopes. And he said, when you are faced with something difficult open an envelope. So uh, the CEO takes the job and the company's going great, sales are great, and then the, the economy kind of goes into a slump and, and everybody starts pointing the finger at, at the CEO. And so he, he remembers those three envelopes and he goes to his desk drawer and he pulls one out and he opens it up and, and he reads uh, the envelope, the, the note in the envelope said, blame your predecessor. So the CEO calls a press conference and there's this big news thing and he points the finger at, the, at his predecessor, at the previous CEO and, and uh, everybody, the media, Wall Street, they all buy it and sales come back up again and for the next two or three quarters, the company is running smooth but then something happens again and, and people start grumbling and the, the, the company takes a downturn. So he goes and he opens the second envelope and the second envelope said this, um, let me find it reorganize. That's what it said in the second envelope. And, and this he did. He reorganized the company and, and, and the, the, the company responded in a positive way. Uh, but you know, after a period of time, the company started to go downhill again and, and he remembered the third envelope. And so he goes and he pulls out the envelope and you know what it said? Prepare three envelopes. Yeah, you know, sometimes it seems like life goes well and then we hit a wall, and life goes well and we hit a wall, and life goes well and we hit a wall. And, and we wonder, where in the world are these, why are these walls here? Why can't life just be easy? You know, why do I have all of these problems raising my children? Why do I have to make hard decisions? Why do I have to, to make rules and, and enforce them and things like that? Why do I have to do what I'm told at work? Why do I need to obey those that are in authority over me? Why, 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 why? Today, we're going to see some amazing things that happen in our world when when we respond to the things in our life with faith in a sovereign God who has all things in control, no matter what we think or what our emotions tell us. And we're going to see that. I mean, you're going to think that I am preaching the exact same thing over and over and over and over again, Sunday after Sunday through the book of Daniel. And I am. Because it's the message that God wants us to hear as North Hills, as a church family right now. And could it not have come at a more appropriate time 
in, in just how things are going in our country and how you're kind of feeling. The fact that God feels like he needs to remind us here in Lingle, Wyoming, and whoever's listening online, that he is sovereign, he is still in control, he is still working. No matter what it feels like or looks like in the world. And, and we've seen the nation of Israel carted off into exile. We've seen the wall of Jerusalem torn down. We've seen the temple destroyed. And of all people at some time who are being owned by the Babylonians, think God has left us. He's not working. And God was doing exactly what God wanted to do. And, and last week we saw uh, God interpret and actually tell Daniel the impossible The king wanted his dream to be told him. You got to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And Daniel did that. Saved the lives of all of the magicians and all of the wise people in their nation when God did this. And Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have a change of heart. But today in chapter 3, that heart has already changed. He saw this vision that, that, that there were going to be four civilizations that were going to be destroyed by a simple rock, and we know that that rock was Jesus Christ. That, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, the one will, that will never pass away. And, and I think Nebuchadnezzar saw his kingdom as one of those kingdoms that was going to be crushed. And now I think he's thinking, well, how can I keep this from happening? He sees the prophecy, and he sees that, that part of that prophecy is the people sort of being, you know, um, disunified. They sort of all have all of these ideas. So he's like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to get everybody all organized and to get everybody together, and I'm going to do that by fashioning this incredibly nice statue of himself, and I'm going to have everybody worship it. That'll get everybody, same religion, same common ground, and, and, and we'll have them all on the same common goal. So if you look, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read this really quickly. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high. Now, you know what a cubit was, right? In that day, it was the, the, the length from the top of your finger to the bottom of your elbow. You know, they didn't have tape measures, per se. It was a cubit. So 60 of these high, I don't know, what, what is that, about a foot and a half? So about 90 feet high, this golden statue is. And it says right there that it was six cubits wide. So it's nine feet wide. I don't know if it was solid gold or if it was gold plated. If it was solid gold, could you imagine? Even if it wasn't, how amazing that would be shining in the daylight. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds this, and he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So everybody can see it. Everybody that's around could see it. You ever drive I-90 across South Dakota, and you see that horrible, ugly bull's head, right, on the... You've seen it, right? Everybody within 25 miles can see it. It's on a hill. That's exactly what this kind of looks like. And then verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. 
As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I, the, the one thing that comes to my mind when I think of what this looks like is, is over in Arab nations where they, there's this horn command, right? Am I, is this not true, Manon? Is it twice a day, five times a day? A cannon that shoots off during Ramadan. It's the call of prayer. Everybody hears it and they know this is the moment in time when we are to bow down, face the right direction, and pray. And that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. When you hear all of this music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not, and this is the catch... Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language that were in the country of Babylon fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So point number one this morning for you is the heat is on. The heat is on. The pressure is on to worship something that they don't believe in, to obey the edict of the king. Man, is that not true of us here lately? The heat is on. Holy smokes, it's been hot outside. But this is a different kind of heat. Heat that you face and that I face Every day, honestly. Every day. Every day we are tempted. We are um, coer- well, we're attempted, coerced by the world, by Satan, to go against what we would say in this room in the decisions that we make. People are to bow down to this statue, this idol, and worship it. Now I'm thinking, what is the harm in getting on your knees and bowing down but not worshiping? What is the harm in that? Wouldn't that be something that I could do? I, there, I wouldn't be making any waves. The wheels of rationalization start to spin, don't they? It would be better for me. I would be safer. I mean, furnaces are hot. And you don't just get thrown into a furnace and live, right? I mean, they're risking their life by not bowing down and worshiping this. I mean, this is the country, right? All, all people, all whatever, I'm just, just do this. Just take this action and everything will be okay. But they didn't do it. I mean, this happened in our own country right before our very own eyes. Think about the priorities that our country has. Especially when it comes to money, honestly. Uh, the, the NBA finals are going on right now. The last game is going to be played tonight. Amazingly, the last game is going to be played tonight. Some would say it's all the referee's fault that the Cavaliers had any sort of chance. Um, we could argue that point. You know, nobody likes it to be eight on five, right, when you're playing a sport? seems like the loser always says it's eight on five. Um, that's kind of where these guys, that's the position these guys are in. Um, these guys are, the odds are stacked against them. Uh, sports has become an idol in our nation. It really has. 
billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent. Players hold out because they don't have $24 million in guaranteed money. They only have 18 or whatever the figures are for what's his name. It's crazy. It's crazy. But we worship things that aren't of great priority. Um, or, maybe, or maybe there's other things in our life where we don't so much put a big priority on. Well, let's take, for instance, you go to Shopco and uh, the clerk accidentally gives you $10 too many, too much in change. And, and you count it as you're walking out the door. What do you do? What decision do you make in that moment? Guess she shouldn't have made that mistake. Happy birthday me. Or do you turn around and go back? You, you find out, you find out that, yes, absolutely, Garrett, you go back and you give them the $10 because at the end of the day, that poor clerk is going to be $10 short and in trouble. I went five miles the other day down the road before I realized I got charged for a hamburger that I did not get at, not, it wasn't here, it was at another place. And I decided I'm going to turn around and go back because, you know, $5, it's worth you know, two miles to go back. And my family is trying to, to convince me not to go back. In fact, Brittany says, I got $5 right here. You can have it. I don't want to go back. <laughs> She's all embarrassed that I'm going to ask them for $5 back. And it's like, it's more the point, right? I mean, you get home from McDonald's in Torrington and you don't have a large fry. Oh, well, you know, bummer. And I'm usually the one that doesn't get the fry. Which is probably a better thing for me, health-wise, right? Maybe I should go back to transformed. Anyway, these, these guys, these guys, I believe, in their life, and we saw it in the first chapter, where they made decisions of faith and trust in God that went against what they were being confronted with. Little things, a little thing here, $10 here. Uh, 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 whatever. You don't get charged for something and you go back and you try and make it right. Ty, um, I, I've, I've heard lots of stories through the years of people that, and, and they go back in to take something back and the clerk is just dumbfounded. Why would you do this? Well, because it's the right thing to do. And, and we make little decisions all along the way that, that are decisions of integrity and then all of a sudden we have a big one that we're faced with. I think that's where these guys were. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been making little decisions of faith and integrity in a foreign land and now they have a big one that they're faced with. And because they were faithful in the little things, God gives them the strength and the courage to be faithful with a very big thing. A thing that could cost them their life. And that's exactly what they do. And then I want to look at three miracles that I believe happen in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that I think happen in ours. Point number two is the miracle of resistance. The miracle of resistance. They are resisting something that is against their faith, against the foundation that God has laid for them. They are not going to bow down and worship this thing. Take my life, but you're not going to take my faith in the sovereign God. They knew the consequences. There are Muslims all over this world that give their life to Jesus Christ, and they know that they may face consequences of death because it is a real thing. Honestly, still at this point in our country, you and I, we don't give up our life for believing and outwardly professing faith in Christ. We may give up some friends. 
We may be subject of some vocal ridicule, maybe some, some things on Facebook or whatever, but those things are easy, easily remedied, actually. Get off of Facebook. That's exactly right. Faith in the everyday things. You know, deceit has run long and worked hard in our world since the beginning. Adam and Eve were deceived, gave in. Uh, King David was tempted, gave in. Judas was tempted, gave in. The apostle Peter denied Christ three times. Tempted. The spiritual battle is very real and it is very active today. You know it. You and I know it well. There are dark forces and principalities that seek to undermine your faithfulness and we need to be prepared. World powers, world leaders are put into positions to tempt us, to test us, to put us in compromising situations. We put ourselves in those situations sometimes. We choose that. But God has provided us the power to resist, and that power is in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is real and alive as a Christ follower in you, living in you. The Holy Spirit is given to all who believe. We're going to read a passage at the end of the service that that is going to describe that to us, and I'm going to describe that. And and in Daniel chapter 3, we see the resoluteness of these three men. Look at verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Why would they do that, honestly? It was the Jews that saved their skins not very long ago. But I think, I'm guessing it probably took some of their power away when Daniel and these men were raised to greater uh, positions of responsibility. So the astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever! Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing service furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This is important, King Nebuchadnezzar. These people are leaders, and they're not following you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. These astrologers are stacking the deck against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes, again, it feels that way in life, doesn't it? There are all of these things that are stacking up against me, and some of you get to the end of a day and you go, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is especially difficult, I, I believe, for middle school and high school students to be in this position because if they're trying to live a life of faith, faithfulness to God in the decisions they make, kids at school notice that and then they start picking on them, don't they? Maybe you have a boss, maybe you have a friend at your school, at your college, that does the same thing, a professor. They know you're a believer, they know you're a Christian, and they're going to try and do everything they can to make you feel this high in class, this high when you're trying to be with your friends, this high. And what do you do? What decision do you make? Do you give in to that and say, you know what, it's not worth it, I'd rather be a friend of my friends, quote unquote, than... Have faith in a foreign land. 
That's the decision that these guys have to make. They want to see these guys fail. They want to see these guys dead. They want them out of the picture. And it's working. In verse 13, furious, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Why is he even asking this question, honestly? He gives him a second chance. Verse 15, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn flute, why does Daniel repeat this every time? Why doesn't he just say the musical instruments? For, for whatever reason, he, he's very specific. Flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar has once again elevated himself to God, to control of his life completely and his kingdom. The man's got to be crazy, right? I mean, I think there are possibly some screws loose. He, you know, he's been, he's been essentially cured by interpretation of dreams from these crazy dreams that he was having before. And we're going to see that he has another one next week. He gives them a second chance. But powered by the power of God, these three men stand firm. And in my mind, it's nothing short of a miracle. I don't know if you have ever had to say, I will not denounce my faith in Christ. Go ahead, pull the trigger, kill me. Or not. But that's when the rubber hits the road, right there. And it's hitting the rubber. The the rubber is hitting the road for these guys right here and right now. Facing certain death, they refuse to back out. It is a miracle of resistance. You know, think about, think about that. I, maybe we need to think about our life in that way. We need to think about when we're confronted with temptations and things that go against the word of God and, and against the will of God, that, that we become resistors. I'm going to resist this. I am not going to be tempted by it. And the only thing that can empower you and me to say no to to something is the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, I want you to look in the future of your life. What miracles are you praying for right now? Parents, fathers, mothers, what are you praying for? What are you trusting God for? Husbands, wives, children, what are you trusting God for in the future? What, what is the impossible that you're looking at that you're trusting him for? Maybe, maybe you're not trusting him for it today. And today is the day that the Lord puts it on your heart to look at that thing and say, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what the will of God is in this situation, and I'm going to stand on the will of God. And we shall see where the chips fall. You know, that's where these guys are at. The heat is on. In fact, it's going to get really hot because Nebuchadnezzar is smoking mad for whatever reason. Look at their response beginning in verse 17. This blows me away. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
Okay? They're trusting God with their lives. Not themselves, not their wit. They're trusting God. And they're doing this really in a peaceful, pretty calm way, I think. But then they go on and they say, but even if he does not, look, I'm praying for this miracle. I know God can do it. But Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know that even if God doesn't do what we hope he will, ain't no way we're bowing down to your image. Because he still is sovereign. He still is the one true God. I think that's comforting because there's oftentimes we t- we, we, we're praying for a miracle and sometimes people say, people will end their prayer with, but your will be done, Lord. And some people look at that and they say, well, you have no faith. You're not completely trusting God. Isn't that what these guys are doing? Look, we're putting our life into God's hands here. We're trusting that he's able to deliver us. Number one, we know that we're delivered from hell because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has overcome the consequences of sin on your behalf and on mine. So if I lose my life, that's still okay, because I gain heaven for eternity. That is a good, good thing. But even if he does not, they say, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army. Is he concerned? Is he worried about what's going to happen here? Some of the strongest soldiers to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, so immediate, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up and threw them in. This is not smoke and mirrors. It's hot. And the Lord responds to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's prayers of deliverance and salvation by literally saving them in this instance. We can look at instances with disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the New Testament, where I'm sure there were times where they were standing before somebody and said, I will not give up my faith. They were hung upside down on a cross. They probably prayed for deliverance. I would be, and God did not. They died a martyr's death, but still worth their decision to be faithful in all things. So, number three this, this morning is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation. Because, look, in verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his, his advisors, Weren't there just three guys that we tied up and threw into the furnace? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around, walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, whether that was an angel or a theophany, whether it was Jesus Christ himself, before the incarnation, in there with them, is that not a picture of salvation? 
I don't know, why, why did Nebuchadnezzar use a furnace? I mean, was that common? I don't know. I didn't research that. To me, if, if, I was, if I was assigning meanings to these things, I would say the furnace probably represents hell. Could. And, and, and they're being subjected to this. And, and God comes in and he saves them. To the point, if you read further there, they don't even smell like smoke. Not a hair on their head is singed. Not a hair on their arms. You, don't, you can get close to one of those little fire lighters and singe the hair on your head. They're in a furnace that's killing people. Not a hair singed. They don't even smell. You can't get within 30 feet of a campfire and not smell like smoke. And they're standing in it. Amazing. Soldiers died, not these guys. That fourth figure in there was their protector, their savior. And that's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, nor will people say, here it is, he's talking about the kingdom of God, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It was in their midst in that moment. God was in their midst, and he is in ours. He is in yours. As a Christ follower every day, he is in your midst. Every day this week, I've talked to people who God is, is working in their life, in their heart. He is, he's moving in such a way. Uh, God is walking the road of life down. God is walking down the road of life with them. I mean, I've talked to a half a dozen people this last week that have testified to the work of God in there. And life's not easy for them. But they know, they know that he's with them and that he's working in their life. Faith in a foreign land. God is in their midst. Big things and little things. And ultimately, it's the salvation of our souls. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we surrender all that we are to him and his will in our life, He doesn't make life perfect, but he gives meaning and purpose and and forgives us of our sin, takes the effects and consequences of that on himself. He paid the sacrifice for that. And then finally in Daniel chapter 3, we see the miracle of repentance. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said this, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, and this is kind of where maybe he takes it a step too far, I think. Therefore, I decree a new decree from the king. Don't bow to this anymore. Now now I want you to bow to the god of, of these guys. Okay? Not that that's a bad thing to encourage people to bow down to the one true God, 
But then he carries it a step forward again, and he, he's, he's like, forget the furnace. Did you, did you read on already? He says, if you say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will be cut into pieces and their households be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. He is now convinced that their God is the one true God, and why wouldn't he? Because he is. This is a 180 degree turn for Nebuchadnezzar, and that's what repentance does, isn't it? It's a 180 degree turn from where we were to where God wants us to go. Repentance is a real miracle, isn't it? I mean, think about your life. Think about the pride and the selfishness and, and, and the, the me monster that is alive in you and, and what it means for you to get on your knees before a holy God or before another person and say, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? But that's where God wants you this morning. That's where he wants you to be. And, and if you look up on the screen, I put Acts chapter 2 on the screen, Roy. Um, this is going to be my closing passage, and I want you to just leave with this soaking in your heart and in your mind. Caleb, you can, yeah, come on up. Look at this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, just leave that slide up, Ty, or uh, Roy. Brothers, what shall we do? When we are confronted with Jesus Christ, the only one who can forgive sins, and you sense that in your heart, that he is the one true God, he is the Messiah, the question that you should ask is, what shall we do? And I pray that you're there this morning. Maybe it's just in having the courage to stand up against something that you've been allowing to slide in your life thus far. Maybe they're little decisions. Maybe there's a big decision. God, what is your will in this? And give me the strength to submit to the answer that you give me, not the answer that I want. Maybe your answer is salvation in this moment, saving my life, saving whatever, fixing this, fixing that, giving me this. Maybe it's that, but maybe it's not. Even if it's not and you're out the other side of that, what are you going to say? I still serve the sovereign God of Israel and of the Gentiles in a foreign land as that may feel in ours. You see, salvation can be ours. Go to the next slide. They went on and they said, uh, Peter replied in this, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, that's us. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Is he calling your heart this morning? If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ before, may this morning be the day. You know what to do. He's speaking it to your heart and your mind right now. And if you have, and and it's repentance of something that's in your life, you're feeling it right now. I know you are. God is saying, give this to me. Get on your knees before me for this. As we sing this last song,
which is the song we already sang, right? Great words. Let's just just surrender yourselves before him. Also during this time, the ushers are going to come and take this morning's offering. Put that connect card in there if you would. Hopefully that's not distracting, that that's a part of your worship as well. Part of surrendering that commitment that you've made to, to give your tithe and offering to the Lord. Father, we, we want to celebrate you. We want to worship you with this last song. And Father, I pray that this week as we all leave here today, that we know those things that maybe we might face tomorrow or the next day and we've already made up our mind that we are, we are going to be faithful in this foreign land. And we are going to be faithful in the small things for when those big things come, there's no doubt in our mind. You are the one true God and it is you that we obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah, you have overcome, you have overcome.